You got a cold or what? What are you down with today? I got the flu. Mm. Mm. I test. I tested negative. Oh, I don't so. even, I wasn't even gonna ask. Oh yeah, no. I everybody else like it's COVID. I'm like, no, I'm like, <laughs> there's, negative. There's other illnesses that exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think any of these people want to hear about your guys' sick talk and whatever you're dealing with, but Thomas Graham Jr. had a great game. I'm not even going to bother cutting that first part out because, again, I'm just not going to do something to embarrass you guys like that. But um, anyways, Thomas Graham Jr. had a big game, which is why he should be a starter. Did we actually see improvement from Tevin Jenkins? Is Justin Fields developing? Joe's back. He's going to have a couple hot takes. Sam's stocks are up. One of those guys is probably going to be Thomas Graham Jr. And stock down, I don't even know who it's going to be. Just saying. But what's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. Make sure you're following myself, Joe Herf, and Sam Stevenson on Twitter at Shy Sports Sam at Joseph Herf NFL and at Usaid Koshal. How are we doing today? I know Joe is sick. I know Sam was quote unquote sick. He's also like super tired or whatever. I don't know, but you know, what are the Stevensons met Kevin Fishbrain's grandmother this week or today? Actually, I thought it was funny, but how are you guys doing? Uh, I am probably doing better than Joe is in terms of health right now. I don't really feel that tired. It definitely has been slow when with break starting. Um, I just got done with my second to last semester of finals uh, for college, which is obviously great. Um, but I'm good, ready to talk some Bears. Um, last night's game was a little painful to watch at times, but uh, definitely got a lot on the itinerary. Uh, so I'll pass it off to my sick co-host here. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what happened. I was totally fine. I had a cough yesterday, and I was like, maybe I should get tested just to be safe. And I tested negative, thankfully, but. As soon as the Bears game started, I don't know what happened. It all hit me at once. I honestly think the Bears gave me this sickness because as soon as I started, literally as soon as I started watching the game, I got chills. Like I just instantly went out of it. I just sat there and suffered through the entire game while sick, and then woke up this morning still sick. So I'm getting better though. I if I wasn't feeling that well, I wouldn't be here. So um, I mean, I didn't work today because I couldn't get out of bed. But hey, we're here. So let's get this thing moving. Well, maybe the sickness is what you get for choosing the work Christmas party over myself and Sam last week. But guys, let's get right into it now. I mean, there's a lot that went wrong for the Bears in this game. But I think the one silver lining was COVID. You could argue actually helped the Bears because the entire season, I mean, Thomas Graham Jr., cornerback, sixth-round pick from Oregon, he was stashed away on the practice squad. And then it's like if Jalen Johnson doesn't go down with COVID, if Players like Duke Shelley don't go down with COVID. Defensive backs to Sean Gibson, Eddie Jackson don't go down with COVID. Then you know what? Odds are that Thomas Graham Jr. is not playing in this game. And he got the opportunity solely because all those names I just rattled off went down with COVID, including Johnson and Gibson, who were, I think, Saturday additions. And players have to produce two negative tests to even be eligible to play in the upcoming game. And Johnson and Gibson didn't have that opportunity. Thomas Graham steps in. He had a big performance, had seven total tackles, three pass breakups. I think I'm going to go to Sam first here. What were your thoughts on Graham's performance? Because in my eyes, my thoughts are that the Bears could legitimately go into 2022 with Thomas Graham Jr. on the roster and essentially give the nod to him being the starter, Jalen Johnson being cornerback one, Graham being cornerback two, and have two cornerbacks on a rookie contracts for the next couple seasons, which bodes real well because you know what? The next couple off seasons, the resources are going to have to be spent more on offense than defense just to allow for the bears to build a proper core around Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, kind of going back a little bit and I'll talk more long-term the significance of a game like this. Again, you, you talk about Thomas Graham jr. Three-year starter at Oregon opted out of the 2020 season because of COVID, which ultimately, you know, tanked his draft stock a little bit in my opinion. Uh, I thought in the moments he had in training camp and in the preseason, I thought he flashed a lot of potential. Ultimately the bears decided to, wave him and bring him back in the practice squad and roll with guys like Kendall Vildor and Artie Burns, uh, which of course neither of those guys have really panned out to what the Bears have kind of needed in that cornerback two spot. I mean, again, the Bears moved on from Kyle Fuller, shifting Jalen Johnson into that cornerback one spot. So that secondary spot uh, across the field from Jalen Johnson has always kind of been up in the air. It's a revolving door, as I like to refer it to as. 
So the significance of Graham playing as well as he did is again, you alluded to it perfectly. If you if you're able to find talent late in the draft and and guys who can fit into positions that you can't really spend a lot of money on right now, it's very significant for the Bears. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too caught up with just a one game performance. I'd like to see how Graham plays the next three weeks because there are three more weeks of football. Hopefully he will get the nod and the start. He did just get signed to the active roster um, as of today, Tuesday. Uh, So it's clearly a sign that he will definitely still be getting some playing time in some capacity. But I mean, you allude, I I go back to the first pass breakup uh, playing in zone breaks up the, the pat what would have been a touchdown pass to the Vikings tight end. I mean, those are the plays you need that you're, your cornerbacks to make. And for a six round rookie with zero playing time in the NFL, calm, poised, in control, didn't seem jittery, didn't seem on edge, played his game. And he was a very good corner at Oregon prior to opting out in uh, 2020. So uh, again, you alluded to it perfectly and I'll, I'll speak more on the long-term aspect of things. If you have a young secondary with guys like Jalen Johnson, Thomas Graham Jr., and a guy like maybe Duke Shelley, who's hopefully going to be back this week after uh, being placed on the COVID list. That's a nice, young, potentially very good secondary for the Bears who are going to be paying guys like Khalil Mack $30 million, who potentially are going to be keeping Robert Quinn around, who just got put on the Pro Bowl, probably is going to break the all-time sack record for the Bears. Hard to justify whether or not the Bears are going to actually trade for him. And again, like the 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 focus this offseason needs to be to upgrade the offense and bring in more options for Justin Fields, bring in players who are going to give him more time to throw the ball. Um, so the only other thing I'll say, and then I'll pass it here to Joe, is it was very, very encouraging. No, I don't think this is the second coming of like Jesus Christ, as some Bears fans were like on Twitter, but Bears fans should be excited that another pick from the 2021 draft class can clearly play some football because you talk about the offseason in 2022, the Bears are going to have a lot of free agents. So if you have a, basically in essence, majority of your draft class that can play right away honestly the only guy that is maybe questionable for the future is Daz Newsom. you have basically in essence a starting quarterback in Justin Fields two potential starting tackles in Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins a very good running back in Khalil Herbert with a lot of potential and now you have a corner in uh, Thomas Graham Jr. who can play some ball and obviously again I think Kyrus Tonga is an okay rotational piece and Newsom's a question mark so it's just another, you know, pat on the back, I guess, for Ryan Pace, who I know gets a lot of criticism, but I'm very excited to continue watching Thomas Graham play uh, these last couple of weeks. I, I do hope it's in a starting role because he was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I noticed early on Thomas Graham's main really good thing that I like to see was his ability to tackle. He did a very good job of tackling the open field and initiating contact. He wasn't just afraid to make tackles. He was tackling correctly. He was stepping up whenever a run came to the outside. And his first few plays were mainly just really good tackles. And then then we started to see those pass breakups. And it's not like he was playing like – this wasn't like this was a preseason game. He wasn't playing bums. Like, K.J. Osborne is a very solid wide receiver three. I was hoping Adam Thielen would play so we could see him play against uh, Graham. But I was totally okay with seeing K.J. Osborne and Justin Jefferson and that um, – I can't remember who the tight end's name is. That actually isn't bad either that he covered. But – Regardless, he. I mean, you guys kind of hit everything I was going to say. I, I want to touch on a little more. It's even more impressive that he hasn't seen a outside of preseason. He hasn't seen a live action game since 2019, and he comes in and starts randomly. It's not like he got. He's not like he got thrown in there. Like he got a whole week of preparation, or it's not like he got thrown in the middle of the game. He started the entire game and was not prepared to start the entire week. Like that was overall unbelievable for how good that was just being thrown in like two days in advance and you know you guys mentioned the instinctiveness that stuck out regarding thomas graham jr just being situationally aware of what was going on what situation the bears were in as well as the really good technique what needed to be done and how but i also think that another thing that a lot of people are not talking about enough is the fact that Thomas Graham Jr. legitimately brought physicality to the table as well. And I think you want that out of your cornerback simply because your cornerbacks also need to be tone setters in a league that's just gotten way too pass happy over the last couple seasons. 
especially since Patrick Mahomes emerged. By the way, it's very ironic how when the NFL's next golden boy emerges, the rules change and are so catered to the offense more than anyone. Okay, I see Sam acting very surprised because he knows I'm 110% right. But anyway, the point is, is that Thomas Graham Jr.'s physicality also stuck out. And you talk about the past breakups he had. I mean, there was a play where the Vikings targeted... I think it might have been Justin Jefferson in the end zone and they were in the red zone. They wanted to score seven points. And I think it was like a second or third down. And what happened is boom, Thomas Graham Jr. Just bats the ball down. That was basically him playing the ball perfectly and batting the football down. And I believe it was the second or third quarter to really go ahead and save the bears defense from scoring on touchdowns so i think we have to be encouraged because what we saw from thomas graham jr on monday night was basically he just wasn't playing well at an individual level he was also making plays to benefit the entire defense as a whole and guess what a lot of good players in the nfl you know what they figure out ways to benefit their units as a whole and the team as a whole rather than just on an individual level go ahead sam the only other thing I'll add too is is we talk about how Graham had these three pass breakups, had a couple really nice solo tackles. Uh, the Vikings targeted him early. I mean, that was then their game scheme and their game plan to go after this rookie corner. I mean, if I was the Vikings and I saw that the entire Bears secondary was going to be out because of COVID and the starters were going to include Deion Bush, Tez Tabor, Kendall Vildor, and Thomas Graham Jr., a, a rookie who hasn't had a single live snap all season – I would absolutely go after that rookie and it didn't work. Ultimately, like when they went Graham's way, his coverage was good. And we saw that as a result. So it's not like Graham got lucky and it's not like he didn't have any opportunities. And it's not like he wasn't targeted. The Vikings made it clear early that they wanted to go after him. And then when that didn't work, they went after Kendall Vildor who struggled, not surprised. So it's a very positive thing as well, because he got put on a platform and he, he didn't, he had no pressure. He didn't feel like he was going to, you know, struggle or anything he had a, a bunch of great comments in his post-game presser where he basically said i did my normal routine and i went out there and played my game like that is what you need in a cornerback you need someone who's just going to be calm collected and play hard and play fast and that's what graham did and he plays with a lot of confidence you want that in a rookie and you want that in a young player in general because the best case scenario for the bears is that graham jr can be your second starter along jalen johnson Having two young corners with a lot of potential is an exciting thought to have. You pair up a nice safety with Eddie Jackson in 2022, this is going to be a bare secondary that has a lot, a lot of potential and could be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, they can be really fun to watch as I type stuff up here on Twitter, guys. But switching over from the defensive side of the ball and sticking with this 2021 rookie class, I mean, there are a lot of questions that are going around and a lot of really intriguing debates because one of the major things you're seeing a lot of people seemingly discuss is that Matt Nagy's pretty much ruined every single quarterback that he's gotten his hands on, including the rookies and the drafted players by the Bears and Mitch Trubisky. Okay, Justin Fields isn't at ruined status yet, but at the end of the day, let's just be honest about something. There's so much dysfunction around this coaching staff. You can just tell a tampering Justin Fields and Justin's forced to play hero ball every single time. So the question does arise, is Justin Fields even developing? Because we saw in games against the 49ers as well as the Steelers in back-to-back weeks. And then the Packers game too. There were so many shades of development. And then there was this game where it was just like, Justin, what are you even doing? Listen, the ball security is going to continue to be an issue for Justin Fields until he just learns to tuck the football and run as well as then just slide. I mean, he had the one hit last night and, you know, it wasn't the one where the, I believe it was Anthony Barr. He, it wasn't that one where he was rejected. It was the one play on which Justin Fields fumbled. And that's noteworthy because every time Justin Fields would take off and rush after that, you know what? He would just immediately slide basically like a shortstop in baseball. Cause that's the position he played. So the point is, is that a lot of people are like, is Justin Fields even developing last night? You did see a quarterback with, pretty good pocket presence you saw a quarterback who was at a point where it was just like all right you know what early on in the game i'm just gonna have to take what this defense is giving me but then again you know what the problem is this is just like justin makes the right reads and throws he tries to place the ball perfectly not every ball can be placed perfectly but then the issues come into where you have guys like Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham dropping the ball in the end zone. And then on top of that, you know, the, one of the big things is that 
I think it was the one fourth down call where the Bears targeted Demir Bird. And you know what? That was a play, quite frankly, that Bird was running. But that route concept should have gone to a player like Allen Robinson, who was still out on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. So, Joe, I'm going to toss it over to you. Do you think Justin Fields is developing? I mean, I think if you look at the big picture from the first game he started until where he's at now, yeah, he's developed a ton. Like like you were saying, he's taking what the defense gives him a little better. He's making the shorter throws and not holding on the ball too long. Like He still is holding on the ball a little too long that we would like to see, but it has improved um, a lot. I would say that over the last few weeks, he's kind of looking the same, and that's nothing against him. That's more on with the coaching staff and more on the kind of talent around him not being used correctly. So I, I'm not really sure the correct answer for that, but I, I am liking what we've been seeing from him. There, there are things he doesn't improve on. Like you are saying, holding on to the ball is really bad on his part. Like, I mean, again, we're going to have multiple conversations on multiple comparisons between him and other past rookie quarterbacks and current rookie quarterbacks. And he's turning the ball over at a stupid rate. Like is that's got to change. And we, we can, appreciate what we have in Justin Fields while also being critical of what he needs to improve on without being a hater. And I think that's where we need to draw the line is that he does need to improve on these things, but he's looking like a superstar. He just needs to put it all together and improve on certain things like ball security, pocket awareness, and not trying to do everything himself. There was one sack last game that he literally was like a 20 yard loss because he tried to do way too much and didn't want to throw the ball away. And, Again, he, he's done better with that, but there, he's got to stop doing it as much. No, I, I really like that you brought the fact that there's a, a line between criticism and straight-up hating on a player. Look, I, I think there's absolutely fair reason to be critical of how Justin Fields is play at certain points. He absolutely makes a lot of mistakes that need to be fixed. Taking bad sacks, trying to make too many plays on his own, and holding on to the ball too long, I absolutely agree. I feel like those are his big three biggest errors of improvement. And a lot of those things can be fixed with time. Pocket, you know, I actually think his pocket awareness has gotten a little bit better since he started as the Bears starter. Um, I like when he rolls out, realizes he doesn't have anything, and uses his athleticism to get it first down. And I think ultimately, again, when he has an opportunity to throw these longer-timed routes, i.e. when Darnell Mooney is able to thrive with these longer routes, he's got a really, really nice deep ball. I think his short passing needs a little bit of work. I think a part of that is he does hold onto the ball a little bit too long, and that might ultimately be a problem he has his entire career. But there's a difference between being critical of Justin Fields and saying Justin Fields is an absolute bust. Bears fans have such high expectations for the quarterback position. They have high expectations for the team because we're the Chicago Bears. We should be good on paper, right? We should be this powerhouse organization. In reality, we really haven't been since 2018. So, I'm okay with Fields taking this criticism because I know he's going to respond from it. He's a guy who takes criticism well. He makes a mistake. He immediately bounces back. That's something I really like about him. It's something that I can admire about him. I definitely think that there are things he needs to work on, and I think those are going to be worked out over time, whether it's a new coaching staff or not, whoever is going to be the coaching staff next year. So do I think Justin Fields has developed? Absolutely. There are signs that he has gotten better. I think uh, quarterbacks coach John DeFlippio has done a very good job of helping him make some you know, revisions, some things that have helped him improve his game. I think he is starting to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. I think he's starting to read the pocket a little bit better, using his legs to make plays. So it is very hard, considering how dysfunctional this team is, to really get nitpicky with it. Uh, again, you can re- go and rewatch the film and, and, and make critiques, but not everything is necessarily his fault. Just like when a quarterback makes a mistake, it's not always a quarterback's fault. It could be applied for all 32 starters in the NFL. But to answer the question, uh, long story short, I, I do truly think Fields has gotten better. It may not be significant. We're not seeing him throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns every single week, but we've seen those moments and we've seen those flashes of potential. It's more getting it down consistently, ironing out some of those rookie mistakes, rookie tendencies and habits from college. This is going to be a very, very good quarterback for the Bears for a long time. I still truly believe that. But again, it's okay to be critical because he is making a lot of mistakes. Yeah, listen, there was such a divide, and I hate bringing Mitch Trubisky up, but there was such a damn divide between Bears fans over whether it was Trubisky or Nagy or both, and I always fell into the it's both category. But I also think that we have to point something out with Justin Fields, is that when we talk about him playing hero ball too much, 
what I find to be very interesting is that sometimes his hero ball plays off. There's the one drive in the second half where I think he was like five for five or something and had like 48, 49 yards. You know, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. The Bears were moving the ball down the field. And Justin was playing the way he was because you saw in those moments, the Bears were effectively going no huddle. And what they were also doing was basically saying, hey, Justin, we know you play fast when you don't have to think. So we're going to continue to go ahead and do this. Now, what, what needs to happen is this, is that the Bears need to get Justin Fields to play faster. And how do you do that? You basically need to cut the field in half and roll them out of the pocket. There weren't really that many rollouts to begin the game. And again, part of the reason we didn't see significant progress from Justin last night is simply because Matt Nagy's play calling, which I'm not really going to get into because we've discussed it so many times on this show before, was completely atrocious. I mean... Getting away from fields here, I have absolutely zero idea why David Montgomery only had like 60 total yards. When I pull up the stat sheet in front of him, Montgomery had 18 carries for 60 yards, average just 3.3 yards per carry. That's a problem, and that's a problem simply because at the end of the day, I think people have to keep something in mind, is that the Bears, when they started their season, right, it was pretty much, well, we're going to be pass first. And then Justin Fields came in it. All of a sudden, the offensive philosophy kind of shifted to, okay, we know we have a quarterback who is not at the point in his development yet where he can basically be the reason we're winning games because he is a rookie. So let's go ahead and let's run a more balanced offense. And what have we seen over the last couple of weeks? We've seen the Bears are getting more and more away from the balanced but run first approach and shifting entirely to the hey let's just go ahead and pass whenever we feel like it i mean fields was 26 of 39 last night guys and average about 7.3 yards per pass so ultimately when you look at those numbers you very quickly say okay there are shades of progress there but then again it's not enough and also side note if you go on next gen stats and i'll break it down for you guys at the end of the season i looked at justin field's passing chart okay the passing grid he's well below average in so many categories including the deep ball which just goes to show that there's another statistic I did some digging today. When you look at separation for the Bears wide receivers, right, and some of the playmakers, what you effectively see is that minimum of 38 targets, right? Darnell Mooney has 2.8 yards of separation. Cole Komet has 3.3. Allen Robinson, who wants to be paid like he's DeAndre Hopkins or one of the best receivers in the game, has just 1.9 yards of separation, right? That's essentially his average. That's bad because that's not allowing Justin Fields to develop. And Justin is doing all he can to develop himself because the Bears passing offense right now is just so broken. Yeah, we need to see major improvements on. Again, there's not a lot you can do with the last three games of the season. I mean, we're just going to keep running in circles in terms of we need improvement from Nagy. We need improvement from this offense. But we just need somebody new in there. And we've talked about it a million times on here and it's going to be a constant topic this entire offseason until it actually happens. But until we get a new coach in there that can develop or put together a good enough scheme for the quarterback and play to the talents that he has on his roster, we're going to keep talking about this every single week. And it's so frustrating. There's nothing we can do about it, and that's the worst part. Well, and you also have to think about when when bringing in a new coaching regime, you have to think about the development of players, right? When have we really seen a Bears wide receiver in the past couple of years truly develop, maybe arguably outside of Darnell Mooney? And now we have to once again look to free agency in the draft to improve the wide receiver core because as great as it's, you know, as you know, the potential for those guys, Demir Bird, Marquise Goodwin, you know, these guys aren't getting it done. You need to have some stability at the wide receiver position. You need to have some stability at other positions on offense. And it counts for defense as well. But I honestly think the defense has just kind of fluctuated this year because of injuries. I mean, Sean Desai held the Minnesota Vikings to 17 points with, in essence, a practice squad defense, which, Joe, I know you tweeted about this. We really weren't talking about that enough, the fact that Desai, in essence, was handed nobody and was able to hold this Vikings defense. And honestly, Outside of penalties, this game might have been closer if the Bears offense could have done anything in the red zone. So it's going to definitely come down to a coach that can use the talent that he has and also make sure that the talent that's brought in can be productive and can actually help develop some of these younger players as well. So, again, a lot of that falls on both Nagy and Ryan Pace. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to add a little bit more about that to Cy because he, it's not like we just like, we gave 17 points, whatever. Like, that's not amazing defense by any means. But I, I don't remember how many yard, passing yards Kirk Cousins has, but didn't he have under 100 passing yards, if I remember correctly? I, 
I'm pulling up the stats right now as we speak, but yeah, he had 87 yards. Like, and this was an offense like Kirk Cousins didn't only had below 200 yards twice this entire season, and both those times they were like for 180 something yards. And he's been like shredding defenses all year. And Justin Jefferson has been destroying defenses. Like he had one game where he had like 10 plus catches for like 180 yards. And we with literally, as you were saying, our entire secondary was out. Like literally every single person was out, including the nickel. And even our main backup safety in DeAndre Houston Carson. Like we literally were starting tease Tabor and Thomas Graham, Kendall Vildor. Marky Christian in the slot, like Deion Bush, who's again solid, but we still shut down one of the top passing offenses to only eighty something passing yards. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. But ultimately, you know, one of the big things that um we also have to kind of talk about is this, is that Tevin Jenkins got into a bit of a scuffle last night and a lot of people seemingly backed it. Now I did back Tevin Jenkins getting up there to protect his quarterback. Cause I mean, let's just be honest about something in 2018. When we saw Mitch Trubisky get hit, who was the one player that was always in the middle of everything. It was Anthony Miller and Miller is no longer here in Chicago. He bounced around with Houston and Pittsburgh and Jacksonville too this season. But, you know, Tevin Jenkins getting up there and basically saying, hey, that's my quarterback, kind of setting the tone is something beautiful to see because at the end of the day, guess what? This offensive line, guys, does not really have tone setters, right? This offensive line does not have anyone that's willing to play with a mean streak. And if you if you evaluated and watched Tevin Jenkins at Oklahoma State University, there's a couple things to note. Number one, I think he started like seven or eight games at left tackle. So left tackle to Tevin Jenkins isn't as foreign as it seems. But you know what? He's still better on the right side. Now, he is improving on the left side of the offensive line. Outside from, I think, the seven or eight penalties that he's had called against him in the second quarter i'm sorry over the last two games he's had like seven or eight penalties that's an issue but then at the end of the day you still saw tevin jenkins improving noticeably and i think this is all just rust that he's having to shake off because you know what you could argue something right now tevin jenkins has not played a game in like 365 years so ultimately when you look at this you have to kind of say you know what no matter what's going on i think that there was improvement from tevin jenkins and he's still gonna get better as the season progresses and why are you guys laughing uh, you said 365 years. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the, the very old, 1,000 year old Tevin Jenkins rises from the like, ground. We both, we right. both went like, hold up. <laughs> I am. Okay, so I don't think my caffeine's hit yet, but because I messed up with the 365 years, um, you know what? I will. Th- I meant to say 365 days, number one. I was looking down at my phone because I have a thousand other things going on. But number two, what I'll do is this, right? Is um, I will still keep the you know part where you guys were talking about Joe's sickness and you didn't realize it, so you were caught in 4K. Also, we could talk about Jesper Horstead towards the end of the show. Ooh, nice. Woo-hoo! But back, back to Tevin. No, I. Uh... I'm definitely indifferent about Tevin Jenkins standing up for like again standing up for a quarterback. That's totally fine. He definitely could have got tossed in the game though. For he it looked like he threw a punch, and I'm not a fan of that. And a lot of people are very very against Jermaine Effetti for yelling at Tevin Jenkins for that, and I'm not like. I mean, Tevin Jenkins is a rookie. It's his second. It's his first game starting, and he gets out there and throws a punch. Like that's. That's no discipline at all. Like, yes, stand up for your quarterback, do some shoving, all that. There's no need to throw punches. You're that's really the dumbest thing you can do in a game. We saw it twice last year. I completely will defend Tevin Jenkins to the grave, though, for him stepping up for his quarterback, for him being the first one in there and yelling at them for a late hit basically out of bounds. And I think the, we saw the rest of the line, too. I think James Daniels instantly ran over to, to uh, Justin Fields to help him up. We saw the entire offensive line kind of do something to help fields after that play. And I'd love to see that, but kind of back to Tevin. Um, he definitely needs to clean up those flags. We, we saw a few false starts. A few hold, I think it was a holding on the first play of the game on him. Um, and that's definitely going to improve with time. But we did see a lot of good things like him just being a mauler in the run game. And it was extremely impressive. And we saw a definite improvement from him in the past blocking game as well. His, his, uh, his punches from his past sets were much more impressive. He, 
I mean, we didn't see a lot of pressure from his side as much as we saw from the right side. And again, Jermaine Ifedi is a guy I like our right tackle, and he looked better than Ifedi did yesterday. So I think we saw drastic improvement. I wouldn't say like he's already a star now, but we already saw a major step forward from the last time we saw him play. So, I mean, him cleaning those penalties, if that's that's really all he honestly has to do and just basically just clean up a few small things, and he's going to be – he's looking like a really good left tackle for us. Yeah, I, I'm not going to really comment too much more else on the – on him going and punching a Vikings player and stuff because on the one hand, like, I, I do like that he basically said, you know what, screw this, no one's standing up for fields. On the other hand, that penalty killed that drive that could have ultimately led to something, so I can understand why I thought he was upset with him. Um, so I see it both ways. I, I obviously tweeted my thoughts out about it and someone just said wrong take. And I was like, okay, time to get off Twitter for a few minutes. Um, I, I can't really add much else to it. I think you spoke, both of you spoke really highly on it again. I think it, it, you know, if you like PFF grades, if you like how PFF does his grading, I actually thought his PFF grades were pretty good. I think it said he only allowed like two pressures all game, which is solid. The penalties absolutely need to be cleaned up. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I think some of those are going to come with just getting those reps in again he basically didn't practice all offseason so he's not in rhythm with all of these guys i'm okay with him being a little out of sync right now because i know that's gonna eventually start clicking a little bit again it's hard to be super critical because he's basically only got a game and a half of tape under him i think there is a lot of potential Uh, again the penalty was the the biggest kind of focus but if you do really break down his game it was solid, and I think he's got a nice opportunity against some, you know, decent competition left. I think that Giants defense will be solid. Um, I think that he's going to have a nice performance against a defense like the Seahawks, and then it's a rematch against the Vikings in weeks uh, 18 or whatever it is, uh, which should be a nice little rematch and another grudge match. So I, I liked what I saw from Jenkins. I, I didn't love the action to go after Vikings players. I, I liked that he went to defend fields though. Um, because again, the bears just kind of need that mauler. They need that kind of threatening presence. And Jenkins is a big guy. I, I like that he was there and obviously fields commented on it. He was, you know, appreciative of it because again, fields has been kind of knocked around and, and, you know, pushed around and it's nice to finally have a guy be like, you know what? Like enough is enough. So, uh, but I actually thought much better performance than in this first game when we had to step in for Jason Peters. Well, I also think something that kind of factored into Tevin Jenkins' improved performance this game was that he essentially had an entire week to prepare for this, despite, you know, some of the COVID outbreak that was happening at Alice Hall. I mean, he still went into the entire game kind of knowing, hey, and the week basically knowing, hey, this is my time to shine. And this is something that we've all been pushing for because Matt Nagy as a coaching staff, what this coaching staff does is they essentially just play players to play, right? There's nothing really, there's not really an incentive behind playing certain players. So like Larry Bourne, for example, didn't even start on opening day and then kind of got thrusted into the lineup. And then on the other hand, you look at it when Tevin Jenkins was back and activated, it was almost like, Oh, well, yeah, Tevin Jenkins exists. That's cool and all, but I'm not really sure I'm going to play him because Jason Peters has been doing a phenomenal job. And I've said this consistently, like, look, Injuries and COVID kind of forced the Bears into unfortunate situations and circumstances throughout 2021 that Matt Nagy never really even prepared for. Because look at Andy Dalton. What was Matt Nagy's plan? Hey, his thing was, I want to keep Justin Fields on the bench for the entire game. And you know what happened? Guess what? Or I'm sorry, for the entire season. So Matt Nagy's thing with the Andy Dalton injury was basically, oh, well, I'm going to keep Justin on the bench for the entire season, and I'm just going to have Andy Dalton start. All of a sudden, Andy Dalton gets injured. What happens? Justin's in action much earlier than anyone would actually like, except Bears fans. I mean, and then there's the other half of this where it's like Thomas Graham Jr. is another one. Jason Peters is another one. You know, COVID happens. Injuries happen. All of a sudden, you see Thomas... um, you know, Graham Jr. and Tevin Jenkins thrust into the starting lineup, and they do really well. So why the Bears didn't give these guys an opportunity to start from the get-go really makes you question what Matt Nagy was trying to basically make of the 2021 season. Because originally it was, oh, well, it's going to be all about the quarterback. It's going to be, you know, a year where we believe we can win now. And then it kind of translated to, oh, yeah, well, we still believe we can win. It's just we're going to make a switch at quarterback and go from an 11-year vet to a rookie. And then in the process, we're going to lose a couple games here and there, but we're going to play it off as Justin Fields is developing. And you know what? 
the performances by players like Graham Jr., Khalil Herbert, they show me one thing. Kyrus Tonga even, right? Tevin Jenkins, Larry Bourne. They essentially show me that, number one, you could make an argument right now for the Bears having the best rookie class in the NFL just across the board, especially if every single one of these players pans out or everyone but Daz Newsom pans out. And Daz really hasn't had a fair opportunity to show what he can do. But the number two, it kind of just shows like Matt Nagy doesn't know his players' strengths and does not know when to play players and who to play and who not to play. That's just the reality of the situation that Bears fans and the Bears organization is just looking at right now and facing. I want to throw something out here really quickly, and then uh, I, I don't know if, Joe, if you're going to add anything else. But you think about playing young players. This podcast, I definitely feel like we have advocated multiple times to you know play Thomas Graham Jr., play Daz Newsome. I mean, dating back to weeks and weeks ago when we kind of realized, you know what, this Bears team can't figure it out. This is a disaster of a year. You know, we're not playing for anything in 2021. All three of us knew that. We knew that this was not going to be a Super Bowl caliber team. The importance was how is Justin Fields going to play. And now you're looking at the rest of the draft class and trying to figure out, you know, which of these guys are going to be potential starters, who are going to be rotational guys, and who are going to be out of here next year. And it's not even just the rookie draft class. You look at a bunch of the other younger players too, a Darnell Mooney, a David Montgomery, a Jalen Johnson, you know, second year and third year guys that are, critical for the long-term picture of the Chicago Bears. I don't want to compare teams necessarily, but I want to bring up the Detroit Lions really quickly, a team that has arguably the least amount of talent in the NFL, uh, You know, has struggled in every single game, but a team that has rallied around a head coach that they would, in essence, die for. I mean, you're looking at a Lions team that is 2-10-1, has been mathematically out of the playoffs for about two weeks now, and are continuing to fight and beating an Arizona Cardinals team pretty handily that the Bears struggled with a few weeks ago. So you talk about rallying around and playing the guys that you have and seeing what you can do with the young players that you have, and Tevin Jenkins being a great example. The Bears brought him back slowly. They didn't want to play him. They wanted to keep Jason Peters in. That is the wrong decision because if Matt Nagy wasn't on the hot seat, there's an argument that he would have continued to play younger players and just been like, you know what, the season's over. I need to see what I have for next year. But ultimately, he didn't have that option because, again, this is 2021. It's not 2018. Newer head coaches have that option to go and play pretty much whoever they have on their roster, whether it's because of COVID or injuries or just because they want to give a guy a shot. Because if they find a guy like a Thomas Graham Jr., like a Tevin Jenkins who can play, they look like a genius. So. What I'm getting at is it's very frustrating that we've had to wait this long to watch some of these guys play. And it's obviously frustrating that it took an injury for Tevin Jenkins to be able to get in and for him to continue as the starter with obviously Jason Peters still out. But the fact that the Bears plan this year was to play a 39-year-old left tackle and keep him in the entire season, even if Jenkins was potentially going to be back, that just goes to show you where Nagy's head's at. He's trying to play to win as many games as possible, not to help the longevity and the future outlook of the Chicago Bears. And you can make the same argument for every young player on this team, including the reason why he didn't play Justin Fields. Yeah, you certainly could. Um, But listen, it's my favorite time of the week. Herf, let's hear a couple hot takes here and there this week. What do you have for us? And Sam, break it down for him. Yeah, so since I was out last week, I had a tweet that, I think it was about a week and a half ago about Ryan Pace that it wasn't even, it literally wasn't a positive or a negative tweet about Ryan Pace. It was what he does well and what he does bad. And everybody took it as we should keep Ryan Pace as GM. So I guess my hot take is going to be based off that. I do think we should keep Ryan Pace, but as president of football operations, Um, I know tons of people are extremely frustrated and absolutely hate Ryan Pace for not really amazing reasons. Um, it's just kind of like, okay, we're not very good. I'm going to blame him for the record, even though he took a team that was like arguably the most old bad team in history and turned it into a contender in a few seasons. And then it just fell off due to the coaching. So regardless, I think he has a great scouting department that he built under him with champ Kelly, uh, Sam Somerville, uh, a few other guys as well that are awesome under him that, can obviously identify some young talent in later rounds and early rounds. And it's been showing these last few years. So, and even in free agency, they've been getting cheap guys. Like you see Mario Edwards, we 
got super cheap and he became a stud for us instantly. Uh, especially, especially on that D line, we've been reloading there pretty consistently every single season and getting young guys that are not young guys, getting guys that inside linebacker that aren't horrible that can rotate like Alec Ogletree or Christian Jones, who isn't bad either. It just seems like Pace has had a good eye with his staff. So why not keep this staff in place, but just move him away from that position so he's no longer in charge of what he's amazing for or for what he's bad for because he's very bad at those contracts, very bad at um, deciding what to pay people and who to pay. I would, okay, not maybe not who to pay because he's done actually a decent job at that due to some players he's let go. But regardless, I, do you think he should be captain? We should keep a very similar staff. I, I know a lot of people disagree, but what, what are you thinking, Sam? It, it's very hard because you talk about when Ryan Pace came in in 2015 and sort of the out of team, you know, decisions he made. He helped, you know, he helped create Barefoot. He improved Hallis Hall. He's done some good. And, and ultimately, he's done well in the draft. He's also done very poorly in the draft. We have to think about misses that he's had, like guys like Kevin White, Anthony Miller. Um, Adam Shaheen. I mean, there's a whole list. And ultimately, I do think he has mishandled a lot of contracts as much as he's found some good talent. And, and again, I do definitely agree with some of the guys that you mentioned. He's obviously done a good job with some of the staff he has had. He still gave $18 million to Mike Lennon. He still overpaid for Andy Dalton. He traded and gave too much to a Nick Foles. And you know, again, I think it's starting to work out a little bit, but he has been bad with money before. And the problem is, is that he built a roster from between 2015 and 2018. The defense could potentially win a Super Bowl, but he missed on the quarterback. Now, whether or not Mitch Trubisky is in this league for a long time or not, not my problem. He's not my quarterback anymore. He missed on a quarterback. If we had had a Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, there's argument that that Bears 2018 team could have gone farther than the first round of the playoffs. I'm not saying we would have gotten the same Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson we've seen of recent years, but he missed on that quarterback. Every time Ryan Pace makes a mistake, it nullifies a lot of the good that he does. It's like he takes a step forward, he takes three steps back. And a lot of those mistakes are going to affect the Bears long term. I think about the dead cap situation that the Bears are going to have to deal with for the next couple of years. <clears throat> because instead of making a decision like, oh, we should just cut Jimmy Graham to save money, they moved his money around to free up a little bit of cap space, and now we're going to be paying Jimmy Graham when he's not even going to be on the roster. That's just one of many examples. I think he has done a lot of good, though. I definitely wouldn't be against him taking a different position with the Bears. But it's hard to defend Pace because Pace is tied to Nagy as well. Ultimately, that was his decision. And if Nagy goes, it's hard to justify keeping Pace around because let's be honest, do we trust Ryan Pace to pick a third head coach? Do we trust him having any say in that matter? So definitely a hot take. I don't disagree with everything you've said, but I I do disagree with some of it. It's hard because I actually liked what you said in that tweet, and I actually thought you brought up a lot of really good points. I'm just very – I struggle to be like absolutely 100%. But I'm definitely not like you're an idiot, Joe. Because again, you're you're even regardless of any of that, your takes are are very well thought out, and you bring a lot of stuff to them. So it's not like you ever had a dumb take. It's just very hard for me to be like one way or the other. I'm very kind of in the middle. Overall, your hotness on this take is pretty hot. This would definitely leave a stinging sensation in my mouth a little bit. I'd have to go get some water. But I don't totally disagree with you. If that, if I can put an answer from a long ramble that I just had, I would say. Yes slash no. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, well, if it's any consolation, too, I don't want him staying as GM, if that's any consolation. I, I think he should be gone. And, and it, in order to keep that staff that he's built, I would move up Champ Kelly into the GM role and let him continue that staff. Because, again, like like I was saying, that staff is unbelievable that they have there. I mean, they this talent they've been finding these past three years, past three drafts, I mean, they you've got a star running. you got two basic a star and a stud running back in two drafts with no first round pick. You got your quarterback of the future, two tackles of the future, like right there alone. That, that's a good enough draft while also getting possibly a corner, a top five corner of the future, potentially, and another star corner. It's just, he's, he's done too well these past three years, I think to lose completely out of a job. But you, again, you can make the case for and against anybody. So. No. And, and, and you said, I'll let you go in just one moment. I, I definitely agree. He has hit on a lot of good guys and I do give a lot of credit to guys like Jim Kelly. Like 
they do a good job scouting a lot of these smaller schools, a lot of these unknown prospects, and they bring in some really nice talent. But you also have to factor in a lot of the misses. Now, no GM is perfect. People miss all the time. I mean, a perfect example, the Philadelphia Eagles drafted Jalen Rieger, a pick before Justin Jefferson. You think they're not hitting themselves over the head because they missed out on a guy like Justin Jefferson? Of course not. But everyone thought that Rieger was going to be a good prospect. And so far, I would take Jefferson over Rieger 11 times out of 10. There's just one example. There's plenty of other examples of GMs missing. I just think a lot of times when you think about Ryan Pace, the misses outweigh the hits a lot of the time. Do I think he should be completely gone? I don't totally say yes because I wouldn't mind him in a different role. But I do not want him as the Bears GM in 2022. Yeah, look, you know, our friends Raul and Albaro were having a back and forth conversation on Twitter today. And again, I went ahead and kind of chimed in where I was just like, oh, well, the issue with Ryan Pace is that he's the guy making the hiring decisions and he's the guy that are hiring coaches, right? So the head coach at least who then basically hires whoever he wants to. But the ultimate issue comes down to this is that Matt Nagy's failures are a direct reflection on Ryan Pace because Ryan Pace was the one who signed off on hiring Matt Nagy and was just like, Hey, I'm all for it. Why do I bring that up? I bring it up because at the end of the day, guys, let's just be honest about something. Bears fan. There's two ways to kind of look at this Ryan Pace situation in Chicago. Now option A is well, you know, he does return and he gets a chance at a third head coach. But then option two is that you keep Ryan Pace within the organization and keep him strictly on the football side of things because I was talking to someone today and what someone told me was, hey, my view, and there's someone I really trust when it comes to talking about the Bears. But what I was essentially told was that Ryan Pace can be great when it comes to the football operation side of things, but when it comes to micromanaging and these daily transactions and building a team, stuff like that, it's just not something that he's fit for. He's got a great vision. He's someone that essentially knows what he's talking about, all right, knows what to do and how to do it, but just his evaluation process is just so flawed. And over the last couple of years, yeah, you know, Mark Sadowski, Champ Kelly, they certainly have been instrumental in a lot of the Bears transactions in terms of like handling and trading for Cleo Mack. Well, guess what? Mark Sadowski, your director of college scouting was someone that had big input in that because the Bears were talking to Sadowski saying, hey, you know, if we send these picks, what do you anticipate? What's the value? Are we going to be able to find certain players here that we we may be targeting in this round? Jam Kelly is just a phenomenal football mind all around. So when it comes to Ryan Pace, it's just like he's out. Okay. And well, Matt Nagy's out, I should say. Ryan Pace, he's out according to some people, but he's not out according to other people. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to look at this and say, you know what? There's an argument for keeping Ryan Pace around and keeping him on the football side of things, but just not making him general manager and essentially promoting him because I do think he can be good in a president of football operations role. And for the Bears, it just makes sense at this time right now that move Ted Phillips, the president of business operations with Arlington Heights coming up in the near future and keep Ryan Pace on the football side of things, begin to diversify your organizational structure and hierarchy because the Bears operate like a dinosaur. And I don't know about our listeners, but every single time I've gone to Hallis Hall to go ahead and do stuff like watch practices, something I've noticed is that Hallis Hall was basically a dinosaur, right? And it was outdated. And then Ryan Pace got here and it was just like, okay, all of a sudden, you know what? Hallis Hall is now one of the best facilities in the NFL to the point where the top teams are essentially looking at Hallis Hall and kind of jealous of it. You know, there's few teams around the NFL that have a facility like the Bears do at Hallis Hall. I mean, I don't even think the Packers, right, who are the heart and soul and the golden kids of the NFL, they don't have a facility as good as the Bears have at Hallis Hall. And so a lot of this change has been driven by Ryan Pace. But then ultimately, at the end of the day, right, sometimes change is good. And you know what? The Bears need to basically make a decision on pace i will say one last thing what did the bears do they fired jerry angelo and then hired phil Embry. phil Embry then fired lovey smith and hired mark trustman over bruce arians what's the moral of the story from that guys it's that the next thing up isn't always necessarily going to be better so just because you fire pace or fire naggy or fire both does not mean that the next people in line are automatically going to be better and let me say this for the record final point i'm gonna make for a lot one of you guys go they continuity is one of the best ways to ensure 
good organization and good team building, right? So what do I mean by that? What I mean essentially is that Champ Kelly's been in the draft room and he's been in these draft processes, right? When you look at players like Mooney and Johnson and Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum and Justin Fields being drafted, why not continue that record of good drafting, right? That process by just promoting someone within the organization who already had an inside track rather than bringing someone from the outside and all of a sudden essentially kind of hitting the reset button. But go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of make the a general like comparison for Ryan Pace here that I seem being very similar to uh, before we move on. So I see this scenario being very, very similar to basically the Chargers as of recent years. So for those of you who don't know, their general manager, um, I believe it's Tom Telesco, if I remember correctly. He, he's been there for quite some time now, too, and they have not been good as of recently. And they, I believe it was, yeah, last year they drafted Justin Herbert. They had an offensive coach that he was basically tied to as well, and Anthony Lynn. And it wasn't coming together for their offense, but Justin Herbert was showing a lot of really good things. So what they ended up doing was they gave Telesco another shot to bring in a new head coach. They fired Lynn, and he brought in arguably an amazing head coach now, Brandon Staley. And I could see the Bears going the same route with Ryan Pace because, like Pace, Telesco was a very young GM. I, I want to say he was the youngest GM ever when he was hired initially. I think he was hired before Pace was done. I think Pace beat that, but – this Pace was a younger GM who made a lot of mistakes early, and I think we're seeing a drastic improvement from when he started to now. So I see it being a very similar scenario. Again, I'm like you were saying, you said, I definitely think he should be moving to the president of football operations side, but I definitely think there's a lot more cases for to keep him than to get rid of him. I got nothing else to add. I think it's well said. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, there's uh, again, again, you know what? If if you had to give me a final decision on Ryan Pace, basically ask me, do you think he's going to be with the Bears in 2022? Because I just spent a couple minutes explaining both sides of this. I would lean towards he's going to be here. Trust me. His role, though, I don't know what it's going to be. That's to be determined at this point. But, um, you know. Moving on here, I mean, Sam, what do you have for us in terms of the stock market? How's that looking outside of Thomas Graham Jr.? Yeah, I mean, leaking just gets to that one really quickly. Obviously, Thomas Graham Jr., like I've mentioned, when people get into Sam's stocks, uh, whether it's your first time playing or whatever, you start at a certain line. Last week, I talked about Tevin Jenkins starting to get a little bit of a line and declining a little bit. I definitely would say he's an honorable mention for stock up. I definitely think his play was better this week. Uh, but listen, Thomas Graham started here and immediately shot up right away. We've talked about it to exa- you know, to exhaustion. I don't really feel like I need to bring anything else up. Stock down, and you guys might not agree with me on this, but it's going to be Cole Komet. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I-, I was watching the game, and of all the guys who had drops, Cole Komet had a lot of really easy ones. Demir Bird is going to be an honorable mention on this as well because a, a f- muffled punt and uh, dropped pretty easy drop pass was pretty bad. But – it has been very frustrating to watch Cole Komet this year. I, I want him to be very good. I want him to be a solid tight end. And I just think he struggles overall in the passing game. And his drops are bad. I, I mean, it, they just the Bears could not get anything going with him early in this game. And ultimately, you talk about a tight end that the Bears took, in essence, with their first overall pick in 2020. And he's just kind of struggled a little bit with some of the passing concepts and some of his routes. I, I'm not saying he's bad. I don't want to say that because I think he brings a lot of positive to the Bears offense, and I still think he can be a decent passing option. But uh, I just did not see a great performance out of him on Monday. Again, I know that might be a little bit of a hot one. Demir Bird is another one in there. I I did not think he played well at all either. A couple of drops, muffled punt was bad too, but those are going to be my stocks down. Uh, Again, I like rooting for Cole Komet. I think there's still a lot of potential, but that game on Monday, it it just wasn't – I didn't see a lot of great stuff out of him. Dude, like, okay, so let me chime in on Cole Komet here, but Cole Komet is so damn frustrating because a lot of people do not realize that at the end of the day, what it comes down to with Cole Komet is that if you look at his stat line, which I think he had like seven or eight receptions and then had about, I believe it was like, yeah, he averaged 11.8 
yards per reception with six receptions, 71 yards. What's frustrating about Cole Komet is that he doesn't make the catches in the end zone, right? Where it's really supposed to matter. And I was one of the people that had him pegged as a breakout candidate going into this season because I felt like with more consistent quarterback play, we would see an uptick in production. But then again, he hasn't been as good as the Bears kind of hoped he would be. And so when you look at that, you realize, hey, this is who Cole Komet is at this point. He's a tight end that's going to get you, you know, whatever, five, six, seven receptions. You can use him down the seam, eat up linebackers and safeties. But beyond that, what he really lacks is two things. One, the ability to really effectively separate because he's only at 3.3 yards per separation, minimum 38 targets. But the number two, he does not have the route running or the breakaway speed that so many of these other tight ends do like a Kyle Pitts or a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle or a Noah Fant or a TJ Hawkinson. Joe, you got any thoughts on this? I mean, agree to disagree, but I mean, I, I always d- defend Cole Komet to the grave just because I, I don't think, I think his main knock, like you were saying is, is the ability not to separate, but I don't think every tight end needs to be able to do that, to be able to be a good tight end in this NFL. Um, Kyle Rudolph made a living off being a average separator and just being a mean blocking tight end who could still catch passes and get yards. And I think, uh, I believe Cole Komet's supposed to finish the season with over 500 receiving yards in his second season. And he's 22 years old. I just think, I mean, if we believe that Justin Fields can fix his fumbling issues and his, uh, ability to be smart in the pocket, we should be able to believe that Quebec could fix an easy thing, such as dropping a pass, like. I mean, it. Regardless, he yeah, he dropped a few passes yesterday, but I still think that he's got a lot of good things going for him, and not as many bad things as people think. And here's what I'll say: I definitely don't throw him into this list this week because I think he's gonna fizzle out of Chicago, and and I definitely think my expectations for him are higher because again, the Bears used a very early draft pick and basically, in essence, gave him the keys to the tight end spot. So. I'm not expecting a Travis Kelsey. I'm not expecting a George Kittle. I think that's too unrealistic. And I think a lot of Bears fans are expecting that. I do truly think that he can continue to improve and get better. I do agree. I mean, he's, he is only 22. He looks a lot better than last year. And he does definitely have his moments. I just think it's definitely frustrating at times when you think about that Bears 2020 draft class and the other positional needs that they had to address and they needed to address. And they took a tight end so early and again, I like Komet. I want Komet to be good, but I just felt like he wasn't great on Monday. And I'm not saying, again, that he's washed up and that the Bears should move on and he's terrible. I'm just saying I would like to see a better performance from him uh, in this next coming game. I'd like to see him finish out the rest of the year strong because, again, I do want to root for the guy. He's a local kid. He's been a fan of the Bears since he was young. I liked what he did in Notre Dame, and I think he can be a solid tight end in the NFL. I just think ultimately – it's hard to try to pick guys that haven't been on this or haven't been on it in a while. Again, Demir Bird is absolutely the other one. He just, yikes, was what the word I would use to describe him as well. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard when your stock up is basically the main topic of the podcast in the beginning. So uh, but that's my uh, stock stock market for this week. Uh, if you guys are listening to this and you want to tell me who you think stocks are going up or down, uh, just let us know on Twitter, uh, at Fireside Bears or at Shy Sports Sam. I'd love to debate why you're right or wrong. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to add one more thing about Komet. It wasn't. It wasn't more towards you, Sam. It was more just a general statement. I. I agree. His stock was down from what it's been throughout the season. I mean, he's been having a very solid season, and the drops weren't weren't great yesterday. So I definitely agree. His stock is down. I just meant a general statement. I, I know you're a fan of him too. So I just wanted to kind of put out the general statement. That's all. Yeah. Look, this isn't to say that I'm going to sit here and write off Cole Komet, but then again, I mean. People seemingly tend to forget that the value of a tight end has continuously fluctuated. And if you don't believe me, just look at when the tight ends were drafted because Hawkinson and Fant were first round picks in 2019. 2020, there wasn't a single first round tight end that was picked, but then Cole Komet was basically rated by some people as being a day three guy. Other people had him 
graded as like a third rounder. And then the bears made him the first tight end picked in the draft. And then you had this other scenario where it was like in 2021, Kyle Pitts being selected fourth overall. I don't ever remember a tight end being selected that high, but the reason I bring that up is because when you draft a player in the second round, what you're basically saying is, Hey, we want you to develop into a starter, right? And a really good player at your position. But in the bears case, I think that expectations for Cole Komet are simply higher than they need to be because he was the first tight end taken in what a lot of people consider to be a weak tight end draft. And you could argue the bears had limited draft capital. They had no first round pick. They probably overdrafted him. So is he a player that has talent? Yeah. But has he been playing very well as of late? Absolutely not. Darnell Mooney, right, has actually been a bigger factor on the Bears offense this year than Cole Komet has. And we all know that good tight ends are best or a quarterback's best friend because good tight ends are the security blanket for bad offenses. But listen, guys, season's almost over. We got three weeks left. So that means plenty of Bears football to still go around. Joe, I'm going to go to you on this one. Listen, Bears are mathematically out of the playoffs for Fox Sports as well as Brad Biggs. Um, but outside of Justin Fields, man, give me one player you're watching the rest of the season. So I really didn't want to be basic, but I couldn't really think of any others. So I'll be basic and first say Thomas Graham. Um, I do believe he should be starting. Seeing him alongside Jalen Johnson could be very nice to see. I mean, it could be potentially our two future starting corners for the next 10 years. So definitely going to keep my eyes on him. But outside of him, um, I know some people have been clamoring on Twitter for it, even though Sam and I have been clamoring for it for, um, I guess, a year probably by now. We should see Jesper Horsen more, and I want to see him more. Uh, like we were saying, Jimmy Graham should no longer be on this roster. He won't be here next year, so why not play Jesper Horsen, who likely will be here next year, and he's young. And again, he had a nice touchdown catch and he has more touchdowns than both our other starting tight ends. And he only played five snaps yesterday and still got a touchdown. So why not play him more? And while we're at it, since we're playing all these young guys, why not? Like, it's literally just like such an obvious thing again, that we just are getting so frustrated with, with Nagy of just, why not play the young guys who could have more talent and could be better. So if he actually gets the chance to play and they actually, are going to use him, then my eyes are mainly going to be on him because that, that could be our potential U tight end of the future, in my opinion. And But if he doesn't play, I'm expecting we're going to see a lot of Thomas Graham. So eyes would be on him too. Yeah, I literally uh, – I was about to go upstairs towards the end of the game, and my dad goes, Sam Horstead's in. I walked downstairs, and I, I thought he didn't get the touchdown, so I tweeted, good try, and then you you replied to me in that tweet saying he actually did score. Um, three touchdown catches on uh, 10 career receptions, by the way, no big deal. Um, so – I definitely have Horstead in my list. I do hope the Bears play him more. Again, like you're going to have to probably revamp the tight end room a little bit next year anyway, because you have to probably find, you know, if you bring back Jesse James, are you going to bring back some of these other guys? Are you going to go after someone in free agency? Are you going to draft somebody? You bring back Horstead with Komet. That's at least two solid options there. Um, and the dude just catches touchdown passes, like plain and simple. Uh, but my young guy uh, outside of Justin Fields is Darnell Mooney, 100%. A guy I've been very high on all year. Uh, definitely a, a current player of mine who's probably in my favorites list. Uh, if I had to do like a recency bias list, uh, Mooney's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I like when he's been able to kind of work kind of these longer routes because, again, if the Bears let Justin Fields throw the ball deep, that connection is so important. Um, and there's definitely areas he needs to improve on. Again, his drop rate is up this year. I think it's like sixth or seventh uh, amongst all active receivers. Again, that comes when your usage goes up and your targets go up. So I'm not surprised that Mooney's struggling a little bit with that. You know, I think there was some criticism for him for not getting into the end zone last night. Uh, would have been a huge touchdown. I think he was close, but even he acknowledges that and he says he needs to work on that. And, you know, again, he's talked to his postgame presser. It, it's very frustrating with kind of all the struggles the offense has had and he wants those things to change. I'm excited to watch Mooney play against some not great secondaries these next couple of weeks. I think when the Bears play the Vikings again, I think he's going to have a much better performance. I think he's going to bounce back. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's clearly becoming a favorite target of Fields. His development as a young and cheap option on the offense is just as important as Fields, in my opinion, uh, because hopefully that is our offensive duo of the future. Again, Mooney is not a true wide receiver one, but he is arguably the best receiver on the Bears offense right now. Uh, I don't know who else you would argue would be outside of Mooney um, right now. And whoever the Bears bring in next year at wide receiver, whether it's a David Bell, a Michael Gallup, a Christian Kirk, whatever, 
as long as it's a guy who fits to Mooney's scheme, that's what's going to be so important these next couple of games to figure out, okay, this is who we have in year two of Mooney. Let's see what we can get in year three Mooney with a better offense and hopefully a better coaching scheme. Listen, better offense, better coaching scheme. That also hinges on player development and player improvement. My guy to watch over the next three weeks is none other than the person that we discussed so heavily. It's Tevin Jenkins. Look, anytime you trade up from 52 to 39 to nab a player that was also considered by many to be a top 20 player in the 2021 NFL drive, you better be confident that player is going to develop into your future left tackle and be a franchise cornerstone too. You love the mean streak and the tone setter. That is Tevin Jenkins certainly plays with a mean streak too. He's going to be my player to watch. I think that if he continues to develop, right, he's going to develop a nice chemistry with Justin Fields. You're going to go ahead and you're going to have about five, six games of tape on him going into 2022. Incredibly small, limited sample size, but there's still going to be a lot there for the new coaching staff to look at and say, hey, Tevin Jenkins is a player that we can work with so ultimately when you look at it you know what i think tevin jenkins keep an eye on him over the final three weeks of the season but anyways that's gonna do it from us make sure you're following us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears make sure you're following myself sam and joe on twitter at usaid kosho at joseph Herf nfl and at shy sports sam you'll hear from these two gentlemen for the next two weeks i will be stepping away from the podcast i got some international traveling and stuff that i need to do i'll be writing articles though um so check those out guys uh i will see you guys in the second or third week of january then so until then guys stay safe bear down i'll be back on tuesday january 11th but have a great holiday season happy new year's to all of you happy hanukkah kwanzaa christmas merry christmas i don't even know all right just happy holidays to you guys in general and yeah bear down ladies and gentlemen here's to hoping the bears give us a christmas gift and win on sunday against the seattle seahawks peace out guys bear down